Now let's have a short prayer together. I'm going to preach you this sermon. And um, I hope it will be a blessing to your heart. Father, as I stand here, you know, I look out at these people and some I know, some I don't know. Some of them, Lord, are really having a difficult time in, in, in different ways. And I, I know that I am not sufficient in this sermon to give the little bit of heavenly food that each person needs, but I know that the Holy Spirit works through the Word in a special way. And I pray, Lord, that each person who's here who really has a hunger and a thirst for something from heaven, that you'll give it to them, that you'll fill them up, Lord. Give them the grace they need to make it through. Now, Lord, I pray that you bless this time. Give me the help of the Holy Spirit, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. When we reach the book of Acts, uh, this is the only book of the New Testament that's church history. Of course, the church is, begins at Pentecost and goes forward. And in the first 14 chapters of the book of Acts, you have the spread of the gospel throughout Europe and throughout Asia, all around the Africa and, and North Africa. And the, when you get to Acts 15, you have some controversies, a controversy that comes up. Some people who were hitching their trains to the Christian church, you might say, were perverting the message of the gospel. Perverting the message of the gospel is something that people tend to do fairly frequently. All through church history, you'll see that people tend to add things to the gospel, add things that don't need to be there. In fact, these events of Acts chapter 15 are what caused the Apostle Paul to write his letter to the church at Galatia. And when he writes that letter to the church at Galatia, the people of Galatia, he is, he is not in a very good mood. <laughs> he says some very strong words because they are perverting the gospel itself. They're taking the good news of salvation through Christ by faith and adding to it something else. And this, this puts Paul over the edge with righteous indignation because the good news is having the good part taken away, taken away from it. Now this error that we see in Acts, in Acts 15 appears because the Christian church, we have to remember, started amongst the Jewish people. The first Jews, were the first Christians were all Jews. And because Christianity preached the faith of Abraham and used the Old Testament only because the New Testament had not yet been written, a vital part of the Jewish world was this thing called circumcision. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 14, the Lord tells Abraham that everybody who is going to be in the covenant with you has to have circumcision. If they don't get circumcised, they can't be a part of the Abrahamic covenant. And this was normative for Jews all the way through until Christ comes. But when the New Testament church begins, that old covenant relationship, God had a relationship with the Jews under the old covenant. And when Jesus comes, when Jesus dies and rises from the dead, that old covenant relationship with Israel is gone. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. The old covenant was weak because it depended upon the performance of humanity. 
When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, God said to the people, you guys have to keep all the law. You have to fulfill all these commands. And when Moses, as soon as Moses gave him the Ten Commandments and he went back up on the mountain, guess what the children of Israel did? They started breaking the Ten Commandments. And so when Moses comes down from the mountain, he finds that they have broken the law. It's impossible to keep the law of God. So the, the old covenant was a covenant of works, a covenant of bondage, a covenant of, of obligation. But the new covenant, which came in with Jesus Christ, is a covenant of grace. A covenant of grace. Not a grace that we earn, but a grace that is freely bestowed upon human beings, upon sinners. The grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God. Now, because the early church was Jewish, were Jewish Christians, some of these Jewish Christians, they had a hard time letting go of the past. Is anybody here like that? <laughs> had a hard time letting go of the traditions of the past. And so as they saw the church growing and they saw Christianity having less and less respect for the dietary laws of the Jewish people and specifically for, specifically for circumcision, a sect of Christians pops up here. The Bible calls them believers who were Pharisees. They said, they started to teach that you had to put your faith in Christ and be circumcised. Listen to the reading from Acts 15, verse 1. Certain men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They were saying, if you want to go to heaven, you have to be circumcised. And then Paul and Barnabas in verse 2 when they hear these guys say this, they have no small dissension and debate with them. Now it says no small dissension. That means it wasn't a small conversation they had with them. It was a big conversation where they told them that was an error. But these guys keep on traveling around, stirring this up, until finally all the churches of the region decide to let the church at Jerusalem make the decision. This is called the Jerusalem Council, the first council of the Christian churches. And when they get there to the council, here's what takes place. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Now this is interesting. He says the, Jew, the Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit just like the Jews have received the Holy Spirit. Peter says, he's saying that this is a noteworthy thing. If we Jews are the people of God, the special beloved ones, and we receive the Holy Spirit, and now Gentiles, who are not the beloved people of God, are receiving the Holy Spirit, this must mean, as Paul will say in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, that there's not two peoples of God anymore. There's not just one people of God. There is a new people of God, a people composed of Jews and Gentiles. Verse 9. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, 
Peter is saying, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Peter is saying, why are you wanting to go back to law? Why are you wanting to put this yoke, this burden back on them? We couldn't keep the law. Our fathers couldn't keep the law. And why are you wanting to put the law back on our necks? What is the meaning of this? Verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Now what's been happening is as Paul and Barnabas have been traveling around and as Peter has also been traveling around, they've been preaching the gospel of grace to Gentiles and those Gentiles have been experiencing the same kind of Pentecostal outpouring that took place on the day of Pentecost. Peter would go and preach to a bunch of Gentiles. They would believe the gospel and the Holy Spirit would fall upon them and then he would baptize them. That's what Peter is seeing. That's what Paul and Barnabas are seeing. They are seeing practically that the message of the gospel is spreading throughout the world and that Jews and Gentiles are both becoming a part of the people of God. So here in Acts chapter 15, this error has to be dealt with because some people can't decide what they should do. Because if you look in the Old Testament, you see all these commands about being circumcised and you wonder should we keep on doing that this is still a problem that christians have today trying to decide which parts of the law they should obey and which parts of the law they should not obey john owen that uh theologian from the uh from the this would be the 1500s 1600s he said that a man who can determine the difference between law and grace is a great theologian because there, is, there are obligations that we should do. There are things that we should do. There are behaviors that we should have. And what, what are those supposed to be? Well, let's, let's, let's move ahead. You ready? All in favor of moving ahead, say aye. <laughs> uh, first of all, I want you to notice the deadly error. There is a deadly error here. And the deadly error is adding works to the gospel. This is the first and most common perversion of the gospel. The gospel of God's grace is a gospel without works. You do not have to perform to make it into heaven. What you have to do is believe. Believe. Put your faith and trust in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Salvation is wrought for us by Christ. It's a gift given to us by Christ, and we receive it by faith. But for people of old times and, and people today. What we tend to do is we add things to that. We add works to the gospel. This, this just happens over and over again. I'm going to show you that in just a minute if I can. Now, the Apostle Paul, he responded to this Jerusalem council by writing two letters. He wrote his letter to the Galatians, and he wrote his letter to the Romans. And just to show you 
Paul's views, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. And uh, hopefully I can finish this sermon. But I, can, but I will start reading verses. I know the sermon gets really long. But you guys don't care, do you? Uh, <laughs> liars. <laughs> now, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. Listen to what Paul says. He's writing to the Galatians, and they, they have been seduced by this error of adding works to the gospel. Listen to what he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And Paul says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul says, I know this is going to rub some people the wrong way, but I don't care. I'm God's servant with God's message, and I don't care if it makes everybody mad. The gospel is important. Now you say, well, he hasn't here said that works are not a part of the gospel. Does he say that anywhere? Look at Acts chapter 2, verse, not Acts chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. We'll stay in Galatians for a little bit. Here's what Paul says. We ourselves, Paul's a Jewish man, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul says, we're not doing anything to be saved except believing. You cannot be justified. You cannot be declared innocent by God based upon your performance or your works. It's only by faith. But if we endeavor to be justified, verse 17, but if, it, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If you could be made right with God through law-keeping, then Jesus did not need to come. But you could not make yourself perfect through law-keeping, so Jesus had to come. And Jesus did come. And he died on the cross for sinners. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Just keep on reading. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you 
It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit of the of the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And the, and the little letter of Galatians just goes on and on telling us again and again that if, you think you're, if you're working your way to heaven, you're on the wrong path. That path does not lead to heaven. It may take a big loop and look like it's going towards heaven, but it ain't. It's going to make a hard left, and you'll wind up in California. (laughs) Friends, the, the Scripture, the testimony of Scripture is replete. You don't need circumcision to get into heaven. You say, well, we're not, we don't really hear a lot of circumcising talk around here anymore. I know. We, we, we don't hear anything about it at all. But this error of adding to the gospel is still around. It's still around. The reason why you had the Protestant Reformation is because churches, Christian churches, had become corrupted. They had Aired. False doctrine had crept into those churches little by little, bit by bit, until like, like, uh, like the stuff you put in flour to make it rise. What's it called? Yeast had just taken over everything and corrupted it all. And you had to have this restatement of the truth in the Reformation period. This error of adding to the gospel is a persistent error. It never stops going away. Over and over it happens. In every generation, some Bible teacher somewhere will spring up and say, faith alone is not enough. To it must be added, baptism. You've got to be baptized if you're going to get into heaven. Well, that's not true. I can show you that from the Bible over and over again. Baptism doesn't save you, to quote my father. Baptism won't... won't <laughs> Baptism won't wash the, uh, the dirt off your neck so you can be dead sure it won't wash the sin off your soul. They'll say bab- communion is required. You have to be baptized. You have to hey, take communion to go to heaven. You've got to live really holy if you're going to get into heaven. You've got to speak in tongues if you're going to get into heaven. All these things people add as, as in addition to what the Bible says. A person is justified by faith. And I've been ratting around in this Bible for my whole adult life. And I'm going to say this to you. I, I, I am, 
I am so convinced that the Bible teaches justification by faith alone that if you, I'm not going to say it. It's, that's the truth. That's what I want to say. Now here are other things that people add to their, to their to salvation. Because we, we live in a world where uh, people are always trying to, to make the circle smaller. And so I, have, I, I know people who believe this. That you must not only believe the gospel and have the right view of baptism, communion, holy living, and speaking in tongues. You must have the right view there. There are those others who say you must also hold the right theological perspectives. So if you are not an Arminian, you can't go to heaven. I have friends who say that if you are an Arminian, you're not going to go to heaven. Now, Arminians, everybody know what Arminian is? An Arminian is, is a person... You would know that, like the Wesleyan Church, not Wesleyan, Wesleyan, the Wesleyan Church, Methodist Church, um, all those kind of churches probably, those are all Arminian churches, right? And then they'll say, well, I have friends who say you've got to be a Calvinist if you want to go to heaven. Now, maybe you know what Calvinism is. Ah, blessed people you are. <laughs> I have friends who say if you're not a Calvinist, you're not going to go to heaven. One of, my, one of my heroes, a guy I love very much who died in, 20, in, 20, uh, uh, in 2020, Don Fortner, who I love that guy. I mean, he's like, he's like, a, dad, like a dad to me. He's, he told me that if you don't believe in limited atonement, you're not going to heaven. How many of you even know what limited atonement is? Anybody? I mean, he said, if you don't believe in limited atonement, you're not going to go to heaven. And I said, Don, I said, that's just not true, man. He's like, do you believe in limited atonement? I said, I do believe in limited atonement. I said, but I know lots of people who don't believe in limited atonement. I said, Don, what's a person got to believe in order to get to heaven? You know what he said? He said, they have to believe that Jesus Christ is the source of their righteousness. And I said, <laughs> You don't have to believe in limited atonement to go to heaven. I, I have friends. I have a, a friend. He's not a friend anymore. Anymore. <laughs> a guy I know from Tennessee who said, if you are not baptized by a Baptist church, you're not going to go to heaven. I said, well, that's, that's dumb. I had a guy tell me that if you, don't, if you practice open communion at your church, you're not going to go to heaven. That you're offering the table of death. Of, of, it's called, you're offering the table of Satan to people. To which I said, I don't see how that can be. I'm standing there at the communion table offering the body and blood of Christ himself. And I'm telling people that it won't save you to eat and drink it either. People are always trying to ratchet it up. I had a friend one time where <laughs> I used the word friend too, <laughs> too easily. I sat with a fellow preacher in Arkansas, and he told me he doubted the salvation of anybody that wasn't premillennial. <laughs> I know people who will, who will de-Christianize you over what translation of the Bible that you use. It just People are always just ratcheting it up, making it tighter and tighter and tighter, falling into that old era of adding to the gospel. Listen, 
You don't have to, in order to be saved, you don't have to know a lot of stuff. You do got to know you're a sinner. You, got, you do have to know that Jesus is the only way, only way you can be saved. And you got to put your faith in him. It's very simple. It's very simple. But the, people are always trying to make it more complicated. Have you ever met somebody who's able to make a simple subject complicated? If you went to my Sunday school class this morning, you may have encountered that. <laughs> Sometimes people even say that in your post-conversion experience that if you want to sin or have any desire to sin, that you're not saved. Some people say if you're tempted with certain kinds of sins, then you're not saved. Then you're not a real Christian. And then here's something you got to be careful about. In this election season this year, you're going to have people say, well, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't vote for so-and-so. In this election year, you're gonna, it's going to happen. I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't already happening. Just keep ratcheting it up, ratcheting it up, trying to de-Christianize everybody. That is all a pernicious error. It's all an error. Beware. Don't become an Acts 15.5 person. Don't become a believer who belongs to the party of the Pharisees who wants to add things to the gospel. Now here in this text at the council, James and the elders, they hear both sides out. And then James makes a decision in chapter 15, verse 13 in Acts. After they finish speaking... Paul and Barnabas, the believers who were Pharisees, after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with, and with this, the words of the prophets agree. So James, he hearkens back to something in the Old Testament just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Back to James, James is quoting the scripture there through verse 18. Verse 19, he's speaking again. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from, this, for from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every, he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Well, James, he agrees. He says, Peter is right. It's obvious that people are saved without circumcision. Now, remember, James is still a Jew. Peter's a Jew. And they're, they're raised with a certain kind of, uh, a certain view of the world and of life. Now, if you're here and you were born in Michigan, would you put up your hand? Wow. I don't know if I should say this next part. Valerie and I have moved here from the south. Now, I was born in Illinois, right? Illinois is a great place to be from. 
And uh, in the South, the culture is different than here. Different than here. Not, there, there are some things that are glaringly different, and some things are just a little bit different. But there's, there's a difference in cultures. There are things. So when I went to college, to Bible college in uh, Arkansas, I, I, was, I, I was in Illinois, in southern Illinois, which is like Kentucky, down there, southern part. When I went to Bible college, uh, I got in trouble a lot for saying a certain four-letter word that up here is common as dirt. It's the word C-R-A-P. Crap. <laughs> if you whisper it, it's better. <laughs> and I had learned that interesting Midwestern word, crapola. <laughs> and when I went to Arkansas... I was playing basketball with some guys, and because we were Christians playing basketball, we had to adjust our vocabulary. And so I would get fouled or shoved or pushed, and I would say, crap! And after a game where I must have said crap a hundred times, a man came up to me and said, hey, we don't say that around here. I was like, what? Crap? Crap! <laughs> It just, it just boggled my mind that he's like, no, that, that's, that's, that's not right. That's a, that's a bad word. Christians don't talk like that. And I was like, what in the dang heck? <laughs> that, but it was just a, a cultural thing. And what happens here is James and Peter, they're still Jews. What they do is they ask Gentile Christians to not do things that, are, that rub Jews the wrong way. And those two things are drinking blood and eating meat that's been strangled or offered to idols. So James says, let's tell the Gentiles to be culturally sensitive to the Jewish Christians around them. And I think that's a very common sense approach. We should. So in Arkansas, for a long time, I never said, guess what? I said the things they would say, which were words I don't want to talk about. <laughs> so he gives them advice. He says, we should not expect the Gentiles to adopt our, custom, our customs, and Gentile Christians should be understanding that some of the things that they do may irk their Jewish brothers and sisters. So this decision by James was made to exhort Gentile Christians to be cautious, to not throw away and disregard everything that their fellow Christians, the Jewish Christians, thought was inappropriate. James defends salvation without works because a sinner is not saved through any admixture of works and faith. James defends that. But James goes on to say, he mentions one particular sin that's universal, and that's the sin of fornication. I'm looking through, my, looking through the text here. Verse 20. Write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality 
and what has been strangled and from blood. Now, sexual immorality is a thing that's universal. Jews are not supposed to do it. Christians, Gentiles are not supposed to do it, to practice sexual immorality. So he tells them, let's tell the churches to be careful in their living with each other and particularly to not commit this sexual sin. Which is interesting to me, of all the sins he could have mentioned, he mentioned sexual immorality. Of all the sins. And I think there's something to that, because I think that is, that's the persistent problem of our culture right now. Sexual immorality. It's a problem. It's a problem today, right? Was it a problem in 1990? Was it a problem in 1980? <laughs> 70, 60, 50, 40. I mean, it's always been a problem. This is a universal thing. Christians should abstain from sexual immorality. Should abstain from it. Should not do these things. So, James says, let's send a letter to all the churches. And they do. They write these things in a letter and they send it around. That's in verse 31. When the letter makes makes the rounds to the different churches and congregations... And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement, because it took off them the yoke of the law and gave them sensible Christian separation. Sensible Christian separation. Now I want to give you these things in closing, and we'll be done, all right? Here we go. First of all, a person is saved by faith without the works of the law. If you're here today and you're trying to do works to be saved... You're doing it the wrong way. In fact, Galatians 5.3 says that if you try to say any part of the law is required for salvation, you're actually bringing upon yourself the obligation to do all the law. Because it's not just the things you like, the easy things. It's all of it. It's all of it. It's not piecemeal. It's the whole thing. All right. That's the first. Second. My friends, let's practice sensible separation from sinful practices. If something is sinful, if it's destructive to you as a Christian, stop it. If you need a list, go to Colossians chapter 3, go get it tattooed on your forearm so you can read it. If you need a list. Go get that tattooed on your arm. Don't get the Ten Commandments tattooed on your arm. Get Colossians, and what will happen is you'll have, you'll, you'll have, a very, you'll have sleeves. <laughs> There's a lot of things to think about in Colossians chapter 3. A third thing is let's avoid becoming Baptist Amish and trying to tighten it up on everybody, trying to make everybody's, trying to add more laws to everybody's life. Stop judging everybody. For the things they do that you don't, that you wouldn't do, you know that's fine. I mean, I would never root for the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, I am a Christian, <laughs> but some of you might, you know, and I'm not judging you much. <laughs> let's 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 not be let's not tighten it up all the time. Sensible separation. Let's not become Baptist Amish. 
let's avoid being believing Pharisees. Believing Pharisees. That is such a striking thing to read, isn't it? In in chapter 15. Look at that reading. Verse 5. And some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up. That just kind of tells me that there's always some Pharisees around in every church. They're always trying to lay stuff on the back of other people. You know, I, this, this happened just the other day. I was in this, I'm in this, uh, have you guys ever heard of Facebook? So I got Facebook and somebody added me to a pastor's fellowship group, which is a ton of fun. Because you got these different, and this one guy got on there and he said, hey, why don't we all sanctify Sundays from now on? And I was like, I know what this is about. The guy was making a case for strict Sabbatarianism. That means that on Sundays, you don't do anything fun. That's what it all sums up to. All you can do is go to church, and when you get home from church, you had to have cooked your meal the day before, so you got some leftovers or left the crock pot plugged in all night long. Don't go, don't go get any fish at the restaurant. Don't watch any TV. Don't play any games. Don't go fishing. Don't do anything fun. He said, let's sanctify Sundays. And I replied back to him and I said, bro, it is completely fine if you want to live that way. If you want your Sunday to be a stinker every day, that's your choice. If you want to make your kids hate Sunday, go ahead. But I said, it's wrong for you to jump on here and tell all of us that we need to follow your lead. That's personal. As long as you go to church on Sunday, after, after you leave here today, if you want to go home and go fishing, go ahead. After we have church here today, if you want to go home and smoke your pipe in the backyard, go ahead. After you, leave, after you go to church and you want to go home and you want to build a shed, go ahead. When you get home, after, 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 if after church, if you want to go home and take all your wives, <laughs> you see, I paused and you guys put wives in the plural. I was trying to think of what thing to give to my wife, you know, that I could take away from her. I started to say, take all your wives all your wives' doilies <laughs> and burn them. <laughs> not, not the plurality of your wives. Wives? It's wives? Golly. It, it's just... It <laughs> I'm just trying to say that, you know... If, you know, Sundays, after you go to church, do what you want to do. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. It's, it's tempting because some, some of you will say, well, that'll make, wouldn't I be more spiritual? There's always this, this hyper-spirituality that comes along with that. You're going to think you're better than everybody else. You say, no, I won't. Yes, you will. Because that's the way we're wired. The last thing I want to say to you is this. Is if you're here today... And, 
and you're a Christian, and you're not a Christian. Um, you, you may think, you may have been taught that you really need to do, repent and believe and do a lot of works to get into heaven, do a lot of extra stuff to get into heaven. And I just want to say to you, that's false. If you want to go to heaven, if you are desiring for the salvation that comes from Christ, you can have it by faith. All you have to do is believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead and you can be saved. It's that simple. The devil, the devil comes along and gets on your ear and he says, oh, I don't know about that. That's a lie. That's, that's the devil trying to stop you from getting on the path to heaven. It's a lie. Put your faith in Christ. Now you may be here and maybe you've been sitting through this whole sermon and you've walked in here thinking you're a Christian, but now you've realized that you're not a Christian. But everybody, you think everybody in my whole, everybody in my family thinks I'm a Christian right now. So I can't become a Christian because everybody will know that I've been faking. Well, don't worry about that either. That's also the devil whispering in your ear. That's a lie. Put your faith in Christ. Come to him. Come to him. And he'll receive you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. And I don't want to leave an uncertain sound in people's ears about how they can appropriate salvation. Lord, I pray that you would give every person here who's not a Christian, you'd whet their appetite for Christ and they would look to him and for forgiveness of sins. Lord, help us as Christians as we try to figure out what we should or shouldn't do sometimes. It's hard to know sometimes. Help us to do what's right. And when we fail, help us to just admit it and Correct our course. And I pray that you bless this church, Lord, as we try to reach out to this community with the gospel of grace. Help us, we pray in Jesus' holy name.